man, what a wonderful day it is to be in the house and in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm a, y'all going to talk to me today, all right? Y'all, I'm going to need y'all to talk to me a little bit today. Amen? It's been a little while since I've been before all of you, and I'm really excited to share a word uh, today. As we continue this conversation, this walk, and this experience of a life of spiritual renewal, and walking into this life of spiritual renewal, starting in prayer. Nothing, beloved, in the kingdom of God happens apart from prayer. Amen? Amen. Nothing happens apart from prayer. It, it, it was Jesus' default and go-to task in all things. And so today we're going to spend a little bit of time. I'm going to spend a little time today teaching, and we're going to close today with a little bit of preaching. Amen? And so uh, this weekend uh, I had the boys. I had two out of three of my grandsons. And, man, I, you know, being poopa is the best job ever. In case you guys don't know, that's what Eden calls me. And you guys, they're in the nursery today, so you, if you haven't seen them, you'll see them running around, at least Eden anyway. And uh, I, I got a chance, Eden is talking so much. And Rosa's been running around with little Benny and teaching little Benny to, uh, Benito is uh, now almost seven months, George, seven months old. And so, you know, Rosa's teaching him how to say poopa, which I'm really excited about. I hope his first words are poopa, because... That'll be a win. Actually, I think I heard him say Dada last night. He was calling for you. But um, she was teaching him how to say these words. And, you know, Benny is trying to kind of grasp the basics of language, right? And that's kind of the process for kids. Now, Eden, on the other hand, you know, while Benny is trying to talk to me, he's trying to talk to uh, us, Eden is having full conversations, okay? He's almost four before in May. And Eden is not just talking, trying to talk to us. Eden has now mastered the basics of language, right? And so he's he lets you know what's on his mind, okay? He's quite the opinionated young man, and so he's always sharing what's on his mind. And so um, last night, I'm having this conversation. Rosa was making some uh, cronuts, fresh-made cronuts. We don't know what cronuts are. Good Lord. Donuts made of layered dough. It's amazing. Anyway, so Rosa's making these, and I'm like, Eden, it's bath time. And he goes, no, Poopa, we're making cronuts. Okay, buddy. And so after we made the cronuts, I say, Eden, what time is it? And he goes, it's bath time. And so I knew that now that he has gotten to this place, and there's a point to this story, you know, now that we've gotten to this place, Eden is now talking with me. And in talking with me, there is now a different level of intimacy in our relationship, right? Because it's a bi-directional conversation, right? It's not just trying to communicate words to me. Now we are, because he has matured in his communication, Eden now has the ability to communicate with me and not just to me. And there's a difference. And isn't that just like in prayer? Where in very often in our early walk with Jesus, we are learning to try to master the basics of prayer. Master the basics of our prayer communication with God. And most of the time, we don't have the words and we're just trying to talk to God. 
And today we want to talk a little bit about the progression of talking to God to then talking with God and having a more intimate and more developed relationship with and in God. And so today we're going to spend a little time talking about that because a life of spiritual renewal is truly founded in prayer. It is founded in our communication and the level and the depth of our communication with our Lord God and creator in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start a little bit about that. Now, again, it's all about learning the basics. So if we're learning the basics, say with me, somebody repeat after me. Say daddy. I told you you're going to talk to me today. All right. Say mommy. Okay. Now repeat after me. Our father who is in heaven. Amen. Now open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going to start today. Luke chapter 11. Now what we're going to see here is that as you turn there, this chapter is Jesus' central teaching on prayer. And it starts very interestingly, the discussion And his teaching on prayer started with a very unique question. Now, we're not going to spend most of our time talking about these first few verses. We're really going to spend the bulk of our time reading chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 5 through 13. But I want to take a quick read and review of the, uh, if you're from a Catholic background, as I am, um, it's the Lord's Prayer. Right? And Protestants, or from the Catholic perspective, it's the Our Father. If you're from a Protestant background, it's the, it's the Lord's Prayer. But here's the question. Of all the things, now we're in Luke chapter 11, so in context, Jesus' ministry is in full swing. They have seen miracles upon miracles and wonders. Okay? Jesus has restored sight. He has healed the lame. He has raised the dead. Jesus has done so much. Here's the question that they ask. Not, Lord, teach me how to cast out demons. It wasn't, Lord, teach me how to, you know, raise the dead or heal the sick. He didn't, they didn't ask that. Here's what they asked. Lord, teach us how to pray. Wow. You might read that passage and skim right over it, but you got to pause. Why? Why would the disciples of all the things they had seen their Lord do ask of all things, Lord, teach me how to pray? Why? Because there's power in prayer. And nothing in the kingdom happens apart from prayer. You'll hear me say that several times today, and that's really what we want to grasp. Nothing happens apart from prayer. Your very spiritual existence is contingent on prayer. So, let's get into it. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Or, he says, Some of your versions might say, say this. What does he do? Now, I'll let you read that passage very briefly. It's like, I think it's all verse 2, I believe, or most of 2 and 3. But as you look at that, our Father who is in heaven, I'm reading it from a King James version in my head, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and you get the rest, right? So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is giving them a foundation. Now, here are new believers, and some of you, this might be you. This this might be where you are. 
He says, for my new believers, here is the basics. As you learn, like my grandson, Benny, as you learn to try to grasp a means and a ways of communicating with the Lord, try this. In other words, Jesus gives them a blueprint. He wasn't telling them this is some ritualistic, um, you know, repetitious prayer that you have to say all the time and every day. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, listen, there's some really foundational stuff in, in this prayer calling on the holy and mighty name of God, and so on and so forth. He's giving them a blueprint. He's teaching them the basics of how to communicate with the Father, or to, rather, the Father, but not yet communicating with the Father. But everything is rooted in prayer. I recently read a book. It was, it's called Family to Family, Leaving a Lasting Legacy. Dr. Pipers is the author of this book. The book is really about evangelism in and through your family. But he says something really interesting towards the end of this book. And I'll read this quote. This is a direct quote from him regarding the importance of prayer. And I quote, You cannot be an on-mission Christian, one that carries the message, the power, the strength, the salvation of the, and the salvation of the Father, unless you are in daily communication with the mission commander. Now listen, I'm, I'm a salty old Marine here, and so this makes sense to me in that context when he says the mission commander. But aren't we all supposed to be on mission, beloved? What did Jesus leave us with? He left us with a commission. He left us with a mission, yes? Amen. And so this author says, and I, I agree with him wholeheartedly, that if you are going to be on mission, you being on mission must start with a daily regimen of prayer with the mission commander, who is the Lord Jesus. Amen. And so I want to stress that point to you today. Now let's continue reading the passage. We're going to go uh, start again in, in verse 5, and I'll, I'll read it with you. And most may, Some of you may have the Pew Bible, but Whatever version you have will get us to the same place. Verse 5 says, And then Jesus said to them, Now this is after giving them the blueprint. Okay? He says, Then he said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. What's Jesus trying to get at here? See, many scholars will call this kind of a rabbinical form of teaching what New Testament scholars have called the how much more. And I'll explain to you what I mean by the how much more and what many scholars believe this is kind of this rabbinical way of teaching. Jesus, Jesus is drawing attention to something very specific. And it's not that God is this begrudging kind of friend that is just annoyed by your knocking at the door. No, here's Jesus' point. That if you will tirelessly and shamelessly knock on the door of the Father, 
he will answer it. Because if a neighbor would answer the door with your shameless audacity, how much more would your father answer the door when you knock in prayer? How much more would the father then who loves you far more than the neighbor answer the knock of your prayer when you are banging on the door in need? How much more? And so this is a point, but Jesus goes on. He's not done. Let's go to verse 9. In verse 9, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who answers receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now notice something happens here. Jesus goes straight into a metaphor about a father and his children. Okay, so watch the transition of how Jesus takes you from knock and seek and ask, right? And he goes right into a metaphor. Verse 11, he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Did you see the progression? Did you see how Jesus starts in this text in verse 1? He starts with teaching his disciples how to talk with God, meaning there was this pre-made prayer that Jesus was very foundational and covered a lot of very unique theological points that he wanted them to master in their prayer life. And that's when he says, our Father who art in heaven. But notice that Jesus knows that there's going to come a point here where the disciples, and maybe this is you, are wanting a more intimate and in-depth relationship with the Father. He knows that this is inevitable, and he knows that there is going to come a time where instead of this template, this blueprint of prayer, that there is going to come a point in time where you now want to come to the Father intimately and deeply with all of your needs and desires. And he takes this time to walk them through this metaphor. So there is a progression to learning how to pray. And so many of you have beaten yourselves up and maybe continue to beat yourself up because maybe you don't pray as well as you think you should. But I want to encourage you today not to be discouraged about maybe where you are in your prayer life today. Because maybe you're a young Christian. And by young Christian, I don't mean age. Maybe you're just still an immature Christian, and that's not a derogatory term to anyone. There are levels of maturity in our Christian life, just like there are level of maturities in our natural life. And maybe you're just more of an immature Christian. And like children, does anyone really expect a child, adolescent, or even a teenager to speak articulately like an adult? Does anyone have that expectation? Absolutely not. And so I want you to think about where you are in your journey and in your spiritual life and not be so hard on yourself. Jesus knew that there would be a progression to this prayer from talking to God. And most of the time when we're doing that, if we can be honest, it's very self-serving. 
that's okay. Children are selfish, yes? Okay. Anyone who has children or grandchildren, you know. Children by design, they are selfish. And we expect them to be. They have no other perspective. And so our prayers start out rather selfish. I need, Lord, I'm hurting, Lord, I lost, especially early in our walk. And all of that is okay. But Jesus is teaching us in this prayer teaching of Luke chapter 11. He is walking us through the progression and now teaching us in many respects how to communicate with the Father in intimacy and depth. And so I want to, if, if you ever take notes during a sermon, this might be a good time for you to maybe grab some notes here today. So I want to walk you through today. There are three categories, if you will, within that we're going to review today within our prayer life. Now, I, I don't want to take too long today. And we had a great conversation in our study group on Friday about these that took us quite some time, and we won't take all that time today on Friday. But there's three subcategories of prayer that I want to review with you because maybe some of you are wrestling with this because I, I want our time together to be practical and that you be able to leave today and go home and be able to apply these things. So here's some three subcategories that I want us to talk about. Number one is a prayer life of gratitude. And we'll review all of these in just, in, in just some high-level detail. So number one is our prayer life must be a prayer life that has gratitude. And gratitude is just expressing to God, amen, what we're appreciative for. Lord, thank you for the beauty of the world. Thank you for the beauty in my life. Thank you that you are a good God. We're just thanking God and praising him. These are prayers of gratitude. What is good in my life? And then there are prayers of laments or lamenting in the Lord. These are when we're praying to God about the evil in the world. Maybe the evil that's in our life. And then third is a prayers of petition and intercession. Now, I include those together because I think those are two sides of the same coin. Uh, 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 petitions and intercessions. So we'll talk about those together. But this is where you are asking God to fulfill his promises to overcome good and evil. Now, notice when I talked about prayer, uh, petitions and intercessions, We'll get into the details, but notice I didn't say that it's about you or someone else. No, because petitions and intercessions are about you petitioning, asking God to do his will, to fulfill his promises. We'll talk about that a little bit as well. Let me read to you uh, a quick quote. Founder of the Jesuit order, Ignatius of uh, Loyola, I always say that incorrectly. He said this, that the beginning point for a prayers of gratitude, for them to be more interactive prayers, is to give thanks to God, our Lord, for the benefits that we have received through him. He actually goes in length about talking about being or having a lack of gratitude. And he says that actually having a lack of gratitude is truly what leads us to evil in our lives. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Has, does anyone know any spoiled, just ungrateful children? Okay, I ain't asking you to call nobody's kids out. I ain't asking you to do that. But, but if you know any, like, very ungrateful children, how do they behave? 
Does anyone know any well-behaved and grateful children? Oh, you, you do? Okay, well, that one's a gem. Okay, but for most ungrateful children, they're typically not well-behaved. Because a lack of gratitude in your life leads you to sin. It leads you to hardship because there's just no appreciation even for the little things. And so this, this, uh, this founder of the Jesuit order made this point very clear. But it wasn't that we just need gratitude for the sake of needing gratitude in our prayer life. But no, the point is that gratitude just isn't the beginning of prayer. That gratitude is the heart and the soul of not only our prayer, but gratitude is the heart and soul of our entire relationship with God. Gratitude. Now, I want you to think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because since the beginning of time, or before time, space, and matter even came into existence, there was this divine dance of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where they were interacting with each other in just love and joy and self-giving and other-focused love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And likewise... This is how our prayer life should be, very other-focused. Okay, let me, let, me, let me prove to you what I mean. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus gave himself up for our sins. And then what happens? So Jesus gave himself up. Father gave us Jesus. Jesus gave himself up. And Father and Son together gave us who? Amen. They gave us the Holy Spirit. And so generosity is at the center of the gospel. Generosity is the inner nature of God himself. And so we, therefore, we must express gratitude in our prayer life first. As our primary means and ways of relating to God. I want you to think about just your time of prayer when you've actually expressed gratitude and how transforming that prayer has been for you. But many of us, especially in our struggles, we don't really find ourselves in that place. Paul actually writes in Colossians 2, 7, Paul says that we should be overflowing with thankfulness. We should be overflowing with gratitude. All right, so here's the kind of the litman test of your spiritual maturity. Okay, if you really want to measure where you are spiritually in your maturity with God, you can measure your level of spiritual maturity by your level of genuine, unforced thankfulness. I'm going to let that sit for just a second. You can measure your spiritual maturity by your level of unforced and genuine thankfulness to the Lord. In other words, that despite your circumstances, despite your finances, despite your family situation and everything that's going on in the world, you are still thankful and praising the Lord. That you could be imprisoned and you're still thankful to the Lord, not because anyone is forcing you to, but because that is your status, that is your disposition in God, joyful and thankful. But what happens when it ain't going so good? What happens when life just isn't that beautiful? Can anyone attest that life is full of ugly? 
and that the world maybe has a lot of evil. I don't even watch the news anymore, guys. But the local news, your particular brand of news, and I, but here's the thing, if you don't watch it, you're, you're, in, you're, you're uninformed and you watch it, you're misinformed. Amen. <laughs> Sorry. So, I mean, I, I, you have to ingest some level of current events try to cipher through it. Not really the point here, but there's so much evil in the world. And despite all the beauty, what gets ratings is the evil of the world that we see in the papers and in the TV. And what do we do with it? What do you do with your pain? What, what are you doing with your anxiety, your depression, your struggles? Some of us are depressed right now and we're hiding it. We don't want to talk to nobody about it. It's just very taboo. We don't even want to talk to God about it. What do we do with it? Well, I have the answer for you. We pray it. We pray it. Uh, uh, Pete Craig, uh, the founder of 24-7 Prayer, says, pray what you got. I love that. He just says, pray what you got. So if you got a prayer of gratitude, pray it. If your prayer is angry, pray it. If your prayer is sad, depressed, just pray it. You know, one of, my, one of my courses in my master's program, we were wrestling with the Psalms. And in case you, you haven't read through the Psalms in their entirety, the Psalms are two-thirds. Now, the Psalms is 150 Psalms. Two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. Think about that. This is, this is the prayer book of prayer books, and two-thirds of this prayer book are laments. They are, they, are, they are songs about crying out to God in anger and frustration and depression. And you name it. The sort, there's actually one psalm that we wrestle with in particular. And I think I wrestled with this psalm for probably two weeks. It's Psalms 109. It is a dark psalm. And, and I'm not kidding, guys. Read it on your own time. This is a psalm where the writer of the psalms is literally asking God to kill his enemies. He's angry. He's been betrayed. He has been backstabbed. He's, you know, they returned his kindness with evil and he's angry. He actually says, will you widow their wives? Will you make their fight with their children orphans? It's dark. Why would God put that in the Bible? How do we reconcile those with the gospel? Why are there prayers of vengeance and, 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 and anger and depression and even suicidal ideations in the Bible? Why? Why would God put that in the text? You know why? Because it's in you, if we can be honest. All of those emotions are in every single one of you, either now or at one point in your life. And don't we have a God in Jesus who relates to every one of your emotions? He lived your full human experience. He experienced pain and sorrow and betrayal. He experienced it all. And in the book that he allowed to be written before time itself, he knew that you would need to relate to these words. And so we use this and these words in the Psalms to pray through this. C.S. Lewis said that we are lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. I'll say that again, and I love, I love reading C.S. Lewis and Charles Spurgeon. I love reading their, their writings. 
He said we should be laying before God what is in us and not what ought to be in us. You know why, you know why people are struggling with prayer today? Because they're praying, but they're not praying authentically. You know why? Because what we're doing is we're putting on a performance. Mm, no, okay, okay. We're putting on a performance. We're coming to God like we're going to a business meeting. Okay, we're coming to God and we're putting on this mask. We're putting on this front as if God doesn't know exactly what's going on in our life. Right, as if God can't see us, if he doesn't understand us. See, learning how to pray with God is about learning to bring to God all that we have. Every emotion, every pain, every distraction, every depression, even your suicidal ideations, if you've been there, I know I have, you bring it to God because he already knows what's in you. You're not sharing with God anything that is surprising him. You don't believe me? Psalms 139 says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Before a word is on my tongue, listen, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. See, talking honestly with God is about giving him our pain and our sorrows. This is what lamenting is. There's actually a whole book in the Bible. What's it called? Lamentations. It's just about this prayer of just hurt. And so this is a way in our prayer time that we actually do what's called a theological protest. It's okay to fight with God in prayer. Okay? I know sometimes we think we can't bring our ugly prayers to God, but he wants it. He wants every bit of that ugly prayer. Okay? I know when my children are mad. My child doesn't even have to tell me that he's mad or she is mad. I, I just know. I can look at them. I know they're mad. Especially when I do something that they don't like, I know they're mad. And doesn't God sometimes do things that we don't like? Okay? Doesn't God chasten us? Doesn't he discipline us? He knows when we're mad. Okay? And I, but I still want my children to talk to me. I still want them to, to tell me what they're feeling so that we can work through those things. And God wants that from you as well. He wants to wrestle through those things Together, Listen, we live in a generation that just loves to protest everything. And why won't you protest in God and with God? Why don't you complain to God? We got to learn to complain properly with the Lord. We have to learn to engage with him, right? Because what happens? If you're not complaining to God, who are you complaining to? You're complaining to your wife. You're complaining to your friends at work. And what happens? Eventually, what you start doing is leaking emotional poison. You're not really being healthy. This is a healthy way through our laments to come to God and complain to him. Have you ever just needed to get it off your chest? What happens when you, when you get it off your chest? Oh, man. Anybody got a good friend that they can talk to? That, it doesn't matter what it is. You could just totally like word vomit on them and they're okay with it and they know you're going to do it. And what do they do? They just, they just listen. And what happens when you finally get it out and you're saying things that you're thinking and you're like, okay, that, that sounds pretty stupid. 
when you say it, right? But when it's inside, you don't feel that way. But once you say it, what happens? You're like, man, I feel so much better. I think I can get on with my day. But you won't do that with God. You'll do that with someone who can't help you, who can't transform you, who can't get you to a new life of spiritual renewal, but you do it with your friend. But here God says, come to me, because I already know what you're thinking, and let me give you a life of spiritual renewal. Let me take your burden, because Jesus tells us what? That there will be problems in life, amen? He tells us that. Anyone who tells you otherwise is not giving you the gospel. He tells us that life will have problems, but he says in those problems, you can come to me. That you can lay your burden on me and carry my burden, because my burden is light. Yours is too much for you to carry, so let's exchange. Why don't you give me yours and I'll give you mine? Why don't you give me your rags and your filth and let me give you my righteousness? Let me clothe you in white. This is what happens in the prayer of laments. He can turn your ugly into beauty. We actually spent a lot of time on this topic in our, in our group study. But now let's get into our last topic because we're, we're short on time. And I know you guys are okay, but I, I don't want to keep you too long today. So let's talk about petitioning and interceding or intercession before the Lord. Again, this is now us coming to God, asking him to fulfill his promise in the world to address evil. This is what our petitions and intercessions are all about. Again, petitions are what? God, help me, right? This is you asking God, help me. Intercessions are what? God, help them. God, help this person. Lord, work in their life. That's an intercession. An intercession, believe it or not, beloved, it is a form of love. That you would stand before the almighty creator God on someone's behalf as an act of love. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? Isn't he, the Holy Spirit, aren't they the intercessors, the great intercessors on behalf of the saints? And so you interceding on behalf of someone else is truly an act of love. But both petitions and intercessions can be wrapped up and summarized by Jesus himself in one word. You know what that is? Ask. Ask. Both petitions and intercessions. Paul Miller, he wrote a book called A Praying Life. Paul Miller writes this. All of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the gospel can be summarized in one word. Ask. Over and over again, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. And he regularly says to people, listen to this. This is what Jesus does. What do you want me to do for you? This is what Jesus says to you through the Gospels. What do you want me to do for you? But you have to ask. God knows But just like in the earlier passage that Jesus read, he says, you're shameless and persistent knocking. He knows, are you going to ask? Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, whether you like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. Wow. Asking is the rule of the kingdom. Now, when we ask... Many of you, when you pray, most of you probably, how do you finish your prayer? Aside from amen. Yes, amen. But before you say amen, what do you say? In Jesus' name. Okay. I want to challenge you with this. I would propose today that maybe we're putting and invoking the name of Jesus 
in the wrong place in our prayer. And I want you to think about this for a moment because I think there's two dimensions of asking for whatever we're asking for, but we're invoking the mighty, matchless, powerful name of Jesus, which the Bible says is the name above all names, the name by which every knee in heaven, on, or, uh, um, in heaven, on earth, and uh, in the earth will bow. Every name will bow, every knee will bow to that name. And we invoke him at the end. I would propose to you today that we're invoking the name of Jesus wrong. That we should be invoking the name of Jesus first, and I'll tell you why. Again, this is my proposal to you. And I'll, I'll give you some, I think, some, some support to this. So there's two dimensions to asking and petitioning, but first invoking the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, it is in your mighty and matchless name that we pray today, then so on. And here's why. So first, we invoke the name of Jesus to invoke our status in who we are in Christ. Here's what I mean. And one New Testament scholar put it this way, to pray in Jesus' names means that we enter into Jesus' status in God's favor and invoke Jesus' standing before the Father. Think about that. The Bible says that none are righteous, not even one, that we have no righteousness of their own, but we come through the fa- to the Father through who? Through the mighty and righteous name of Jesus. Jesus said himself, no one comes to the Father except through me. Man, y'all been reading your Bibles, that's good. And so we invoke the name of Jesus to claim his status and his favor before the Father. That we say, Lord Jesus, it is in your name that we're claiming his status. We're walking into his righteousness before we attempt to enter into the throne room of prayer and praise to the Lord God Almighty. We invoke his name because his name has power and it is status that we have. That we're not coming to him as bums and beggars. But when we invoke the name of Jesus at the beginning of our prayer, we invoke that power that now we're no longer beggars and bums, but who are we? The Bible says that we are co-heirs to the Lord Jesus. That we walk into the throne room by invoking first the name of Jesus and walk in. And this, y'all, if y'all don't get it, I'm preaching now. But so we invoke the name of Jesus to walk into our inheritance. That we are now adopted children of God and we're just not some lost bums and beggars off the street. You better know who you are in Christ and invoke his name at the beginning of your prayer and not the end. Amen. It is not only, now if we're heirs, if we're co-heirs to the kingdom, then that means we have access to what? The resources of the kingdom. And so what are the resources of the kingdom? Power and authority that we have through the Holy Spirit. And we, so we invoke the name to take claim to our status and our position as heirs to the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. And so what? We can tap into his power. There is power in our prayer. So here's point number two, that the the second point is that prayer aligns us with Christ. When we invoke the name of Jesus, we're first in our prayer and not last. What we're now doing is invoking what Jesus would want, what God would want in our prayer. This is where we're asking God the things that God would want. Okay, I'll give you an example. Um, Rosa has a friend at work. I'm not going to say her name. 
We've heard her pray, and sometimes she's like, Lord, will you just send that person to hell? Lord, and I'm like, hold on. She says, Lord, will you this? And it's just ugly and it's dark. And, and I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's Christian. <laughs> I mean, listen, I get, the, I get the ugly prayers, okay? And I said, we can be honest with God. But we got to pray with what God, the way God would want to pray. That when we are encountering someone that maybe has done something ridiculous and maybe they violated us or someone or whatever the case is, that we say, Lord, will you, will you transform their heart? Lord, will you work in them so that they won't go on living this life of sin? That's the prayer that Jesus would want you to pray. And so we walk into that. But what we also walk into is we want to pray not our problems, Never, ever, 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 ever have you see and do you see the, uh, the Pauls and the Moseses in the Bible? They don't pray problems. You know what they pray? They pray promises. Moses prayed promises. Paul prayed promises, not problems. They called on God to do what they knew God desired to do. What does God desire to do? God desires to make them whole. God desires to make them reconciled unto him. God desires that they be renewed and restored. These are the things that God wants. God wants to deal with evil. He wants to make right all the things in the world. So we pray the promises of God and not our problems. This is what we see in the scripture. Prayer makes a difference. As I close today, I want us to think of prayer this way. Prayer is a way for us to be spiritually defiant. And what do I mean? There is so much evil in the world. Prayer is a way for us to be defiant against that evil. Prayer is a way for us to step, God, step into God and with God and wage war with him. We, guys, we forget that the Bible tells us we're in the midst of combat every day. Again, as a military guy, I get that. That makes sense to me. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare. The things that might be going on in your life, you might think are natural. But the Bible says that what we fight against are not things of flesh and blood, but that we're fighting principalities in heaven. We're, we're fighting against the spiritual realm, but yet you wage war in the natural. That makes no sense to me. I want, beloved, I want you today to begin to wage war with God in your prayer. Through prayers of gratitude and prayers of lamentations, through prayers of intercession and petition. This is how we wage war with God. And it's okay to tell God when you don't understand and when you don't make sense, when you're frustrated. No one understands the loss of life and we're angry and we're frustrated and we just don't get it. Lord, why would you do that? Lord, why would I lose my job? Lord, why this? Why that? Those are okay. Wrestle with God about it. Has anyone lived life long enough that you know sometimes your hardest times are your greatest blessings? Mm -hmm. I've lived long enough to know that. My greatest trials, in hindsight, have been my greatest blessings, but it doesn't make sense to me when you're, go when you're going through it, right? It doesn't make sense when you're in the midst of it, but what do you got? Pray. If it's all you got, you pray. But even in the midst of it, you pray with a heart of praise and a heart of gratitude.
because Lord, no matter what, you're still good. No matter what, Lord, you are the savior of the world and my soul. Lord, no matter what, you allow the sun and the rain to come up and down on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Lord, you still allow the world to be full of green and beauty despite everything that's going on. Lord, you're still intimately involved in your creation. You're not some far and distant. Let me stop right now because I'm about to start praying. I'm about to start praying. But this is how we have to fight with God. And it is okay if we're wrestling with him as well. But your prayer matters. See, Jesus assumes in the prayer, he says, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. What does that assume? That assumes that it is not yet come and it is not yet done. At least not in full. Because as believers, we're living in the now but not yet. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, but the kingdom is not fully come. So what does he do? He depends on you, every single one of you here and those watching online. God is depending on you to actively wage war with him in the spirit realm through your prayers. That prayer actually makes a difference. Now, I know we get into this discussion about God's sovereignty and his providence. And, you know, if, if my prayers are actually doing something in me or if my prayer is doing something with God, and I would say that it's both. I would say that not only are your, because prayers don't do anything for God. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys right now, despite what you might think, prayer, they do nothing for him. He doesn't need them. But prayer does everything for you. But it does change the heart of the Father. And we have biblical examples of that. The story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. What, what does he say? He says, Lord, if there's just 10, who he says 50, and if there's 20 or if there's 10 righteous, will you save the city? And what did it do? What did it do? Y'all know the story. What did it do? Didn't it change his heart? Didn't God, didn't God relent? And, and he, he showed mercy? Aren't you praying to know that your prayer makes a difference? Now, it may not make a difference in the time that you want it. <laughs> Don't we know that? Lord, give me patience. Amen? Lord, give me patience. But Jesus knew that it could be both. God is king of the world. He's, he's not a dictator. I'm going to close here and, and invite Pastor Daniel to come up. And the worship team, to um, They're going to lead us in a time of prayer. God hasn't totally taken his hands off the wheel of our world and our life. He entrusts us as adopted children to be an active part of his kingdom through prayer. R.C. Sproul said this, and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Daniel. R.C. Sproul's, again, a, a great reformed theologian. He said the prayer of the people is one of the means that God uses to bring things to pass in this world. So if you ask me whether prayer changes things, I answer with an unhesitating yes. See, guys, for us to pray is both a moral and spiritual responsibility as we partner with God to not only transform our own lives and bring us to spiritual renewal, but to transform the lives of those around us. I don't want you to forget as I close my final thoughts. When we're coming to God, whether it's with gratitude or lamenting or petitions and intercessions or maybe even a combination of those, through it all, God is forming us 
into the answer to our own prayers. And so with that, I leave you and I bless you. Thank you very much.